Good morning, and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And we're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so here at the beginning of the service, we greet the divine by greeting one another. I hope you have comments in the format you're watching this on. And if you do, please check in and let us know you're here. I invite you now to say the chalice lighting words with me if you were moved to do so. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Yuval Noah Harari is an Israeli public intellectual, historian, and a professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He says, People throughout history worried that unless we put all our faith in some set of absolute answers, human society would crumble. In fact, modern history has demonstrated that a society of courageous people willing to admit ignorance and raise difficult questions is usually not just more prosperous, but also more peaceful than societies in which everyone must unquestioningly accept a single answer. People afraid of losing their truth tend to be more violent than people who are used to looking at the world from several different viewpoints. Questions you cannot answer are usually far better for you than answers you cannot question. This congregation has written a mission statement that guides our decisions, that guides our path as we move into the future together. We wrote it on the wall here in the sanctuary, and we like to say it all together, each in our own place right now, every Sunday morning. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. We have a moment for beloved community to let you all know what we mean by it. Later on during the sermon, you'll see a slide that has it written down. But for right now, I'm just going to give you a little glimpse about how we wake up to the culture that we are surrounded by. I remember someone in this church saying that she just had realized that her study in college of Western European civilization was called humanities. Just ponder that. Good morning. I'm in my favorite creek where my kids and I like to come and find wildlife like crawdads and tadpoles. Last week when we came, we saw little teeny tiny frogs climbing up the banks. And then we looked in the water and for the first time we saw a tadpole with legs. 
It was so exciting. Today's story is about little fish and tadpoles that live in a creek or a pond just like this one. Fish is Fish by Leo Leone. At the edge of the woods, there was a pond, and there a minnow and a tadpole swam among the weeds. They were inseparable friends. One morning, the tadpole discovered that during the night he had grown two little legs. Look, he said triumphantly, look, I am a frog. Nonsense, said the minnow. How could you be a frog if only last night you were a little fish just like me? They argued and argued until finally the tadpole said, Frogs are frogs, and fish is fish, and that is that. In the weeks that followed, the tadpole grew tiny front legs, and his tail got smaller and smaller. And then one day, a real frog now, he climbed out of the water and onto the grassy bank. The minnow, too, had grown and had become a full-fledged fish. He often wondered where his four-footed friend had gone, but days and weeks went by, and the frog did not return. Then one day, with a happy splash that shook the weeds, the frog jumped into the pond. "'Where have you been?' asked the fish excitedly. "'I have been about the world, hopping here and there,' said the frog, "'and I have seen extraordinary things.' Like what? asked the fish. Birds, said the frog mysteriously. Birds. And he told the fish about the birds, who had wings and two legs and many, many colors. As the frog talked, his friend saw the birds fly through his mind like large feathered fish. What else? asked the fish impatiently. Cows, said the frog. Cows. They have four legs, horns, eat grass, and carry pink bags of milk. And people, said the frog. Men, women, children. And he talked and talked until it was dark in the pond. But the picture in the fish's mind was full of lights and colors and marvelous things, and he couldn't sleep. Ah, if he could only jump about like his friend and see that wonderful world. And so the days went by. The frog had gone, and the fish just lay there, dreaming about birds in flight, grazing cows, and those strange animals, all dressed up, that his friend called people. One day, he finally decided that, come what may, he too must see them. And so, with a mighty whack of the tail, he jumped clear out of the water onto the bank. He landed in the dry, warm grass, and there he lay, gasping for air, unable to breathe or to move. Help! He groaned feebly. Luckily, the frog, who had been hunting butterflies nearby, saw him, and with all his strength, pushed him back into the pond. Still stunned, the fish floated about for an instant. Then he breathed deeply, letting the clean, cool water run through his gills. Now he felt weightless again, and with an ever so slight motion of the tail, 
He could move to and fro, up and down, as before. The sun rays reached down within the weeds and gently shifted patches of luminous color. This world was surely the most beautiful of all worlds. He smiled at his friend the frog, who sat watching him from a lily leaf. You were right, he said. Fish is fish. The end. Whenever I read that story, I think about how grateful I am to be a person. Like the frog, us people can explore new worlds. We can explore new ideas. We can learn new things. We don't have to worry about flopping around on the ground, gasping for air. We don't have to worry that new ideas are going to make us need someone to rescue us. So whenever we start feeling afraid of new ideas, we can remember the fish and the frog and remember that we want to be like the frog. Our reading today comes to us from Reina Maria Rilke. Born in 1875 as René Carl Wilhelm Johann Josef Maria Rilke in Prague, Austria-Hungary, Rilke grew up to be one of the most influential Bohemian-Austrian poets and novelists. He's widely regarded as one of the most lyrically intense German-language poets, and some critics have described his work as mystical. He wrote one novel, several collections of poetry, and many volumes of correspondence in which he uses strong images that focus on our difficulty of communion with the ineffable in an age of disbelief and solitude and anxiety. These themes position him as a strong transitional figure between traditional and modernist writers. This excerpt comes from a letter published posthumously in a collection of ten named Letters to a Young Poet. Have patience with everything that remains unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books written in a foreign language. Do not now look for the answers. They cannot now be given to you because you could not live them. It is a question of experiencing everything. At present, you need to live the question. Perhaps you will gradually, without even noticing it, find yourself experiencing the answer some distant day. If you are able, at this point in the service, to grab a moment of quiet, depending on your situation, you may have nothing but quiet, or you may have lots of activity all around you, but let us just take this moment to enter into an attitude of meditation and prayer, if you can. Breathe together and pray with me. Beloved mystery, we gather here during very strange times. We gather here struggling for our hope. We gather here struggling with our anger. We might have feelings of helplessness. We might be sick. We might be 
worried. We ask for clarity in this quiet. What to do with our pain. What to do with our concern. What to do with our anger. We want to be our most effective to make this world the place that our mission dreams of. To make this world the place that the beloved community dreams of. Show us what kind of mix of anger, activity, quiet, rest, play, music, art, dance, and thinking. Show us what balance will be the best for the long haul. Let us breathe together quietly. May it be so. You are now invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope and remembrance or dedication. If you have candles in your home, this would be the time to light those. Today's sermon is a question box sermon, which means that you all have submitted questions that I am going to answer to the best of my ability, or I might just add some more questions to yours. And I want to start with uh, two questions that came from one of our youth because they did such an amazing job in their youth service, and I know we are all so proud of them and happy to be in the same congregation with them. They ask, when is the most powerful worship you've been a part of? So many. So many. And what I know is that part of it is the worship planning 
the worship events, the smells, the sights, the thoughts, the music. And part of it is who I am when I come to that worship. Sometimes I'm wide open and sometimes I'm grumpy and the worship is different depending on me, even if someone else is running it. I've been part of circles of women meeting in a place we called the Glade at night with stones for our altars and a fire going. Those were wonderful worships. I've been part of so many wonderful memorial services here where the spirit and presence of the person we are celebrating is just so palpable. And the love that people felt for them was so beautifully present. I think about a time at General Assembly in Boston where a minister was talking about those who had retired and his job as a minister over the years. It was in the place where the Boston Celtics play. And you know how they retire somebody's jersey and they, and they hang it on wires and it goes way up into the rafters. Well, this man had a preaching robe and he had attached it to the wires. And when that robe swooped up into the rafters, I burst into tears because I had not been a minister very long at that point in a church. And I was just then becoming uh, deeply aware to the bone of how complicated and difficult a job it is for so many. And just seeing that preaching robe retired was moving for me. They also ask, do you have any secret talents? Well, I am an off-the-scale extrovert. And really, if I had any talents, you would know about them. I, I don't know if you know that I have a second-degree black belt in American karate. And so I think my only talent that I don't really talk about very much is that I can break somebody's collarbone. That's not really something you want ministers to be meeting you with front and center. The next question I'd like to talk about comes from someone who asks, I often describe Unitarian Universalism by saying what it is not. No creed, no common belief, no required theology. So without using comparisons or negatives, what is the actual faith of UUism? These are great questions. I'm going to tell you some of my favorite things about what UUism is. I'm not going to pretend that this is a comprehensive list. Number one, every one of us has our own connection with the divine or the mystery. We don't need that connection mediated by a priest. We don't need that connection mediated by uh, anyone who claims that they have a more special connection with the divine than we do. You, according to your own experience with the divine, can figure a lot of things out. Now, is it okay to figure things out? Yes, because, two, we teach that you trust your own experience. 
You trust your experience. For example, I was always taught growing up that the original sin was pride. Now, what I noticed was that of almost all the women I knew, and many of the men, they and we did not have enough pride. It wasn't possible that pride was a big sin when so many of us just needed more of it. And so if I don't experience that as being a big sin, then I can say to whoever's preaching it that pride is overweening sin. Sorry, I'm doing my Uncle Henry. Um, We can say, not for me. Not for me, it's not. The other thing that's still connected with all this is that there is ongoing revelation. What does that mean? That means that the truth, as we can access it, is not closed up between the pages of a book. In other words, you don't have to look for everything you need to make a decision about in the pages of the Bible, say, which is the one that I was raised with. If I want to know what my position on reproductive freedom is, for example, this being a reproductive freedom congregation, so I'm going to talk about that, I don't have to look in the Bible to see whether it's okay or not for a woman to terminate a pregnancy. I can say, I trust my own experience. I trust my own connection with the divine. I trust that the more information we have, the more we can change our minds about what is right and wrong. I think that uh, the other thing about our faith is that we can believe science and that we believe that people have the right to health and liberty and justice and reproductive freedom seems to me to fit perfectly in there. And I'm not going to let anyone tell me that the book says you can't do it because I know the more I find out about life, science, myself, you, the earth, the divine, the more I can make that decision inside my own self. Then, another of my favorite things is the affirmation of the beauty of the earth. I can listen to a lot of people who say, and this is their faith and I don't want to mock it, but they say the earth is something to be transcended. You have to rise above your body. You have to rise above your physicality. You, you're nothing but a flesh pocket around your spirit, which is the closest to God. I don't think so. And I love the way that Unitarian Universalism makes room for us to believe that the beauty of the earth, the beauty of our own physicality, the beauty of nature and its horrors as well, are all part of our experience of what is holy. Another thing is that we treat the words and deeds of prophetic women and men as sacred texts from which we can learn. I would like to expand that also just because of my own experience and that you can use your own life as a sacred text and learn from that because the decisions you make, the actions that your beliefs produce, those are well worth studying. I love that we affirm science, uh, not as perfect, 
but as a system of finding knowledge that has great validity. I love that we also affirm using your brain, not only the rational part, but the non-rational part as well. I hope you can hear this rain that's falling down right now. Such a beautiful sound. My Uncle David would say, I believe the heavens are about to declare. I love also that we can say in this faith, I don't know. We can also say, nobody knows. When someone says, what happens after death? We can say, I don't know. And nobody knows. The Buddha said, where does the fire go when it goes out? That's as wonderful an answer as any I've ever heard. Another question says, we have our principles, ends, that's the goals of the church, our mission, and our faith practices. Would you say that these comprise a sort of UU theology, or that means something more or else to you? And I would say, I don't think those are our theology. Uh, theology means study of the divine and the human and the earth and their relationship amongst those. Our principles speak to actions that would flow from our theology. Like if you had a good theology, then these are the actions that would flow. One of the things I love about the things I said we believe in is that we believe in science. And I know from recent news that bad theology kills. Really. It's a life and death idea. If your theology is that God is going to protect you from the virus and that if he really loves you, you're not going to get sick, you might die because that is bad theology and that kills. Not respecting science is bad theology, which kills. Thinking that you're responsible for your children's immortal soul so that you have to chuck them out of the house if they're gay, that kills young people. The suicide rate among trans youth and even LGBT, LGBTQ youth, are the suicide rates are so much higher than they should be just because families have been told bad theology about what it means to be gay or trans and that God is going to hate your family because of something that you were born as. I want to talk about beloved community now. And I, I think you'll be able to see the slide that says what we believe about it. And if it's not up there long enough for you to read it, I believe that it will then be in uh, the comments as a link that you can study it on your own. Because beloved community is so <clears throat> complete. And it talks about justice for women, for men, for children, for folks of various ethnicities. It talks about justice for the black folks, white folks, uh, native folks, Asian folks, all kinds of people. And it means everybody. So why are we focusing on Black Lives Matter right now? Because that is what we're talking about right now because the terrible things are happening to black, brown, and native people. 
and there is a time when we are going to talk about smashing the patriarchy. <laughs> From right now, we're focusing on our uh, black, brown, and native friends and beloveds in the midst of this congregation. There are so many other questions that were wonderful. One of them was, what do you do with your anger? How do you use your anger? I'm going to talk about that next week. Another one was, how do we hold on to hope during this pandemic? I'll probably talk about that next week as well. So next week is anger and hope. I love you all. I'm so glad to be back in this pulpit, and I can't wait to see your faces in the hangouts with the minister on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'm so proud of you for donating to our project to RIP Medical Debt so that we can try to wipe out the medical debt that's being carried by people in Harris County. So many people are just staggering under the weight of illness. And if we can take just a little bit of weight off of our brothers and sisters in Harris County, that will make us all proud. Thank you for being this congregation and for following its mission. Now please join me, if you wish, in saying our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with me if you care to. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.